Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech, including washing machines. Yep, it's time for a classic episode. This episode originally published on April 21st, 2014. It is called How Washing Machines Work. And it seems simple, but it turns out this is one of those topics that has a lot more going on than you might imagine. So uh, let's roll up our sleeves and dunk our arms deep in that soapy water and find out how washing machines work. All right, Lauren. Yes, Jonathan. Have you ever had to clean any of your clothes without the benefit of a machine to do it for you? I actually sink wash a lot of stuff. It takes some effort, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's not fun. It is not a fun thing to do. It is the opposite of fun. I have also done this. I, uh, Lauren and I have both, in the past, not together, <laughs> worn costumes for various occasions, like, you know, it's Thursday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Thursday is my favorite costume. Some, day. Day, some costumes, you just, they're not washing machine safe. They're delicate. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you got to kind of, not so delicate that you don't have to put in a ton of effort to get them clean, though. So here's how washing tends to work. You get some water. You put some soiled clothing in the water. Then you agitate the soiled clothing. And I don't mean you say nasty things about its mother. You actually have to physically move that clothing around in order to shake loose the dirt. If you really want to say nasty things about its mother, I mean... It pretty much naturally happens. It's not going to hurt. Yeah, it might actually make you feel better as as you're scrubbing up to your elbows. It'll make your roommates think you're really weird. That that ship sailed a long time ago. So yeah, you have to put in all this this physical work to kind of shake loose the dirt and then you take the water away. You take the clothes away from the water, you take the water away from the clothes, however you do it, and then you rinse it off and then you try and wring it out and then you hang it up to dry or however you want to dry it. So what we needed to do was find a way of making this process, which used to be that that used to be the way we cleaned everything. Didn't matter if it was delicate or not. Mm-hmm. We needed to find a way to make that less of a chore. So we wanted to talk about the history of washing machines as well as how they worked. And to begin with, the history is not all that clear, because as it turns out, a lot of people just didn't really bother, you know, recording all the developments in washing machine technology. Uh, well, well, the the thing is, is that most of the time the washing was being done by um, by people in the lower classes mm-hmm. uh, who were not also writing scientific papers about advancements in this kind of tech. So right. so there's there's a whole lot of disagreement on when stuff happened, where it happened, um, what the terminology was, because the terminology varied from like town to town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whether or not you had a stomp bucket or not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like there's, there's some great terms that we're going to talk about here, but I'm so excited. We're going to, we're going to do our best to wade through the confusion and lead you to the other side where the light will be seen by all and we'll have clean clothes there. That's my goal. So first we're going to start with ancient Rome because this has nothing to do with washing machines, but it was so cool. I had to bring it in. <laughs> So the ancient Romans were among the earliest peoples to offer public laundry services. They had an entire class of people who whose job it was to clean clothes. And those those people were dudes. Yeah, they were dudes. This was this was men's work because it was heavy duty, hard work. You see, back in Roman times, all the clothing was made out of wool, wool, this heavy. Yeah, cotton didn't exist yet. Yeah. So I don't know if you've been to Italy or various other regions that were part of the Roman Empire, it's warm, mm-hmm. you know? 
and people people get a little uh you know little little sweaty little little stinky little stinky and so you need to clean those clothing so they had these people these men called fulones now fulones were uh the they were the in charge of cleaning the clothes you would pay them and they would take the clothes they put them in a vat uh it would be a vat that you know go up to like say the the waist or so has some water in it and then they'd stomp on the clothing and stomp and stomp and stomp. And this is that physical agitation action we're talking about that shakes loose the dirt. Uh, and then they would end up pulling that out, wringing out the clothes, laying them on the ground or hanging them up. They would also use other materials to try and whiten uh, anything that needed to be white. They you know, try and bleach it. They would also mm-hmm. use the sun to bleach the mm-hmm. stuff. So this is the, the the way the earliest clothes here, you know, we're talking about Roman times, how they were washing them all the time. And uh, like we said, Associate with men. That'd be about the last time we say that. <laughs> Except in my house, I do the laundry. So oh, okay. I do the laundry and I do the cooking. You know, we're not we're not tied down by by egalitarian, yeah, sure. gender roles. And uh, at any rate, medieval Europe. So this is where we start getting into some interesting uh, terminology. So people would use things called washing bats, also called beetles or battle doors. Yes, raise the battle door and wash that tunic. Yeah, it's uh, essentially it's something that you would use specifically to, again, agitate the clothing while it's in uh, flowing water. So usually this was done for most people literally along the side of a river. Uh, yeah, yeah. You'd use it as kind of a uh, I think that washing bats referred to like the scrubbing related devices yeah. like it was used in conjunction with those scrubbing boards. Right, right, right. Yeah. You had the scrubbing boards you also had there and it, you had to go to where the water was. I mean, some people had water come to them, but not very many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, use that physical motion to loosen dirt washed away by water. Uh, uh, you, you could do this in a tub with a handheld agitator if you weren't near any sources of, of running water. Yep. And that's uh, that's kind of how things how things went for, for centuries. Centuries, yeah. yeah. Till we get to the 18th century. And uh, at this time, this is when we start to see the concept of laundry being, quote unquote, women's work. Uh, the idea being that women... Since, you know, they don't have to go out and farm all day, they can stay at home and do the easy work, you know, like the back-breaking laundry that has to be done by hand. It really was a, a very tough job. Um, I mean, especially in places where you have to go run out and get the water, uh, what does the washing? Yeah, I got a quote here from a Nevada housewife from the, the kind of the pioneer days, really. Uh, her name was Rachel Haskell, and she said... That doing laundry was the Herculean task which women all dread, and also described it as the great domestic dread of the household. Because this is, I mean, it wasn't just that it was back-breaking work. I mean, you had to really put effort in it if you wanted clean clothes. Also, the materials you used could be kind of rough on skin. I mean, we're talking oh, about yeah. some caustic materials. Uh, yeah, for a long time, uh, whites and natural fabrics were soaked in pure lye instead of being washed with soap because soap was really expensive. Yikes. So, so that's really fun. Um, a, a recent study out of the University of Montreal suggested that advances in household technology during the 20th century was partially responsible for a jump in the number of, of married women being in the workforce from 5% circa 1900 to 51% circa 1980. Um, and a decrease in time spent per week on household chores from 58 hours to just 18 hours in the same approximate period of time. So dropping 40 hours a week, a full-time job yeah. worth of chores dropped in a week because of devices of convenience like the washing like machine. Like the washing machine, yeah. Um, you know, 
if if you didn't have that river handy you would uh you would have have your have your bucket and a tool called depending on where you were and I, and I had to add this note because all of these tool names make me so happy uh a posser dolly dasher punch or punch I'm pretty and, sure I'd want to punch if I had to do this. And something that, at any rate, looked uh, a little bit like a plunger with like hol- holes or vents in the base um, to let water squeeze through. And you just stand over a tub on the floor and and manually agitate the laundry. Yeah, yeah. Um, By the so, way, you guys are really missing out because Lauren and I are both expressive people, and when we talk about how this happens, we act it out. So it's too bad this isn't a video <laughs> podcast. No, 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 no. It's really good that it's not a video podcast. <laughs> so moving on, we now get to 1782. Now, over in Great Britain, a fellow named H. Sigier invented what we think was the first washing machine. And what this was was essentially a cage of wooden rods and a handle to turn those rods. And turning the handle, move the rods, which would agitate clothes within a vat. So you're still using hand power, to do this, but you're no longer like actively in the water moving clothing around. Yes. So that that was a slight advantage. And other people started making similar sorts of washing machines. Now, most of these were not really convenient for like home use. This was stuff. An industrial level. Yeah, kind this of is thing. Just, just too big and too clunky and too expensive for mm-hmm. most people. It just wasn't practical for them. But it was showing where things were moving. Uh, the first patent wouldn't show up, though, until about 1846, right? Yeah, that's when you got a patent in the U.S. Patent Office for a washing machine that cleans clothes by rubbing them between two curved surfaces. And once again, you mechanically move this yourself. You had a lever, and the lever is what made these curved surfaces move against each other. And it was that rubbing motion within water with these curved surfaces that would actually clean the clothing. Uh, it ended up being a pretty popular design and, in fact, would last well into the, well, the early 1900s. So uh, nearly a century, even after other alternative methods were introduced. Hmm. So 1851, we get James King, who invented the revolving drum. Now, that's the basis of most washing machines and even dryers today. Uh, yeah, that's that's what you've got at home, probably. Yeah. Uh, although an improvement was made just a few years later in 1858, you had Hamilton Smith who invented the revolving drum with reversing action, meaning the drum could actually revolve in either direction. Uh, so this would allow lots of different washing machines to use that kind of uh, back and forth motion as a, a form of agitation. Ah, uh-huh. um, so if you have to a, help do some of the work for you of moving all that water around. Exactly. So like the front loading uh, uh, types of washing machines we see today. Most of those can turn in either direction. So they're really descendants of Hamilton Smith's work. Then in 1874, I had to add this in, and I'm going to include the snarky joke I wrote in the notes, which is that William Blackston, who was a corn planter and manufacturer, created a washing machine and gave it to a, uh, as a gift to his wife for her birthday, and then she threw corn at him. Okay, so so while I make a joke about <laughs> the guy buying his wife another appliance for her to do work with, in reality, it actually was simplifying her life quite a bit. At that, at that point, it could probably be considered a sweet gesture. Yeah, yeah, because it means taking hours of time off of all the chores that she would have to do. I mean, hopefully there was like chocolate involved, too, or something. Maybe it was a, maybe it was partially made from that, in which case it was probably not terrible. Not effective. a very effective. But, but, but no, no, actually, a lot of washing machines, uh, like he actually started to offer to sell them because she did like this. It did 
uh, make it easier for her to wash clothes. And again, this was mechanically operated. There was a hand crank. It mm-hmm. wasn't like it was some sort of uh, automated or made of wood. Yeah. yeah he yeah. wasn't pouring uh, steel drums in his yeah, cornfield, not, not steam powered washing machine or something. So she she would turn it by hand, but it still made it easier. And because it was so practical, he started to sell them. And the price tag on a washing machine, a William Blackston washing machine, according to the sources I saw, and keep in mind, this is another one of those things where I'm skeptical, but every source I found said it, $2.50 for a washing machine. Wow. That's a bargain. Uh, well, in 1874, I, the... That's true. In 1874... Inflation calculators don't even go back that far. Yeah, in 1874, $2.50 would buy you the Nevada Territory, but... <laughs> Or a washing machine. (laughs) Listen, I'm no scrub, but we do have to take a break and listen to these ads. We'll be back to talk more about washing machines after this quick break. In 1888, we had Ellen Egloe, who invented a ringer to sit atop washing machines and, and help dry out the laundry. She sold the rights to her idea for $18. Uh, the story goes that she only sold the idea because, of being a black woman, she didn't think that white women would buy the product if they knew who had created it. Um, and I guess $18 really wasn't too shabby at the time, though the fellow that she sold it to wound up making a good deal of money on it, although more on that in just a moment. So in 1893, we have the Maytag Corporation being founded. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, it wouldn't be until 1907 that they would come out with a washer because Maytag did more than just washing machines. Mm-hmm. And but, and that was still mechanical, right? Yes, that is true. It was still mechanical. It was not an electric washer at that time. Uh, well, which makes sense because only um, 8% of U.S. homes at the time had electricity. Only 25% had running water. Yeah. So, you know, the, if you're going to market it to a large group and if you want to actually help people, then you have to design something that's going to work for the most people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that the Maytag repair guy probably got called out for more repairs back in the mechanical days. He doesn't get a lot of, <laughs> according to the commercials, he doesn't do very much these days. Although, although at the time, since since telephones weren't yeah. a, a very popular you thing, would, I'm just, sure it was just, just stand just outside Maytag. Also, it's Colin Ferguson who's the Maytag guy now, which is kind of weird. That's very strange. You're seeing the guy from Eureka as the Maytag repair guy. In 1905, we have Alva J. Fisher, who produces the first electric washing machine. Now, the motor at that time was bolted to the side of the washing machine and was unshielded, an electric motor. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been taught that two things you don't necessarily want to mix together are water and open electronics. (laughs) Apple has told me many times that if I do introduce those two things, it's totally my fault. Um, yeah, so it turns out that, uh, water from the vat could sometimes come out and hit the motor and cause a short circuit. Sometimes this would result in damage to the device. Sometimes it would result in a jolt of electricity hitting a person, but it wouldn't be until the 1930s, presumably after one too many laundry workers got zapped, that they would start to shield the motor from the rest of the washing machine, thus preventing water from actually hitting the motor. Uh, kind of funny that it took nearly three decades for that to happen. 1908, we have the Hurley Machine Company of Chicago introducing the first electric power washing machine, which na- it had the name of Thor. That's Ac- great. According to one source, it was actually called the Mighty Thor. <laughs> and this was based off of Alva J. Fisher's design. So Fisher was working for the Hurley Machine Company at that time. So Thor hits the market. 
1911, we have uh, developments with the oscillating cylinder, uh, which uh, and also with domestic washing machines using sheet metal tubs mounted on angle iron frames to be the, the basic design of your washing machine. That same year, the Uptown Machine Company, which would later become the Whirlpool Corporation, formed and produced electric motor-driven ringer washers. You know, we, we mentioned ringers. You said the ringer on, uh-huh. on the other one. That was one of the patents that they bought in order to build this machine. There you go. So you, if you wonder what a ringer actually is, it's think of two rollers that are really tightly spaced together, and you ring the clothing by putting it between the two rollers. You turn a crank. This kind of pulls the cloth through, and it squeezes that excess water out. Uh, it's kind of like imagining two steamrollers right next to each other. And also, you don't want to put your fingers anywhere near there because they will get squished. Yep. All right. So then we get up to the 1920s. That's when some manufacturers begin to introduce electric or gas water heaters that are part of the washing machine itself. Because while we started to see running water entering in more homes, not all homes had water heaters. If you had water, there was a chance it was just going to be cold. Mm -hmm. So in order to make a more effective washing machine, hot water tends to wash clothes a little better than cold water does. Though we'll get, we'll talk a little bit about that with the modern ones as well. Uh, Some machines had onboard water heaters. Yeah. Gas or electric. electric or gas. Right. Right. Yeah. So, but then once we start seeing water heaters going into homes, this became less important and you stop seeing models with their own onboard heaters, uh, for the most part. Uh, 1922, Maytag introduces a washing machine with an agitator. Um, it doesn't use an agitator to introduce a washing machine. That would just sound irritating. Some guy coming to your house and saying, hey, your clothes are dirty. You need to wash them. No, we're talking about an actual component within a washing machine. Lauren is doing her head shaking thing. Uh, 1930s, we have uh, manufacturers who begin to include a drain pump motor to remove water from a washing machine once the cycle is over because... If you're thinking these early washing machines meant that water magically entered into the machine, then you did your washing, you turned some cranks or whatever, and then the water magically went away, no. You had to put the water there. You had to take the water back out. You know, you had to find some way of, of you know, some of them had like a little drain spout type thing that you would drain at the, the end of the day, whatever. This was an actual pump that would use mechanical motion to pump water back out. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, using electronics to kind of simplify work. Uh, 1937, we have the Bindex Corporation introducing the first fully automated washing machine. Now, this involves using a clock timer that's connected to the washing machine controls. It tells the machine, essentially, what stage it's in and therefore switches. Because before that... You had a, a manual switches that were that were operated by... A human being. A human person. Yeah, mm-hmm. you had to actually sit there and... and or you know, Come back even more frequently to your washing machine. Right, right. You have to sit there and say, oh, you know, that, <laughs> that the timer says that the time has passed for it to do the wash cycle. Now I need to go and switch it over to do a spin cycle or something along those lines. So, uh, yeah, this, this was another big advance. In the 1940s... Uh, washer production in the U.S. would largely stop as supplies and factories were bent to the war effort because uh, that was when World War II was happening. Yep. Um, for example, Whirlpool, which was then under the name 1900 Corporation, uh, produced some 2 million components for P-40 Warhawk aircraft from, like, propeller pitch controls to carburetor parts. Yeah, I hear they were the cleanest parts in all of the war effort. She's shaking her head again. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> 1947, General Electric claims that they invented the first fully automated washing machine. Uh, now, we assume that they mean fully automated washing machine that actually had an agitator. With an agitator, yeah. right. The previous one did not have an agitator. 
Uh, the agitator's job, again, is to uh, to provide that motion within the washing machine. Within the tub that's, yeah. that's moving the water and, yeah. It's really, it's really meant to simulate a, an ancient Roman stomping on your clothes. Mm-hmm. That's really what an agitator is meant to do. <laughs> uh, that's the way I like to put it. So we then have very slow evolution in washing machine technology. It wasn't exactly one of those areas that required uh, a lot of, um, of, of advances to keep it, to keep the industry healthy. For one thing, once you buy one, you pretty much stick with it for a really long time. Yeah, you don't need one for a good bit. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, they're expensive and, uh, and they generally last a pretty long time. So we didn't see huge advances, uh, but we did see some. And then we're going to skip to 1990. That's when a certain James Dyson, British inventor, creates a washing machine that has two cylinders rotating in opposite directions, which actually reduces the wash time. And supposedly it actually washes clothes more effectively than traditional machines. Wouldn't surprise me. Dyson's made a lot of interesting stuff. Uh-huh. 2008 is the last thing we have in our timeline. That's when engineers at the University of Leeds created a washing machine that uses just one cup of water to wash a full load of clothing. Wow. What? Yeah. I don't even One understand cup. that. Yeah, when we talk about how much water our normal washing machines use, one cup is crazy. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about using less than 2% of the water and energy required by conventional machines to wash clothing. And also the clothes are pretty much dry after you wash them. You haven't used that much water. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't have any more details on that about what is actually happening. I suspect laundry gnomes. I always suspect laundry gnomes. I do, too. They're suspicious little jerks. All right. Well, you know what? It's time to turn this episode on the rinse cycle. But to do that, we're going to take another quick break. Okay. so let's talk about how modern washing machines work. And we're going to start with top loading machines. So these are the machines where... There's a little door at the top of the machine. You lift it up. You put all your clothing in. Most of them, almost all of them, have an agitator inside. That's the kind of the, the central post that sticks up from mm-hmm. the bottom of the of the washing machine. Although, uh, from now on, if you really want to, you could probably call it a posser, dolly, dasher, punch, or punch. Okay. So if you're using your posser, poly, punch, dasher, <laughs> punch, I, I, I got Vixen all the words just out. I... Yeah, exactly. Rudolph. <laughs> uh but the agitator has usually it has some fins on it and some other uh, uh, like protrusions on the bottom of it. Now, these serve a purpose when it's turning in the water. It actually has this action upon the clothing that's that's also inside the machine. It'll either pull it down toward the bottom of the machine or push it back up toward the top. And that's the agitating movements you get to shake loose all that dirt. So, again, trying to replicate all the other means we've used to clean clothes over the years. Mm-hmm. That inner drum that the clothes are sitting in itself may or may not move as well. Yeah. Usually you have one that will uh, spin because it has to drain out the water. But during the actual agitation process, it's pretty common that there's going to be a braking system on that thing. And it holds it in place. So the agitator is doing all the moving because if, the drum were rotating the same time the agitator's rotating, it would reduce the effectiveness of the agitator. Right. So, yeah, most of these are going to have an inner drum that's going to be steady. Uh, it's connected to an outer drum. The outer drum is watertight. It has to be, or else you have a huge mess every time you attempt to make uh, to clean clothes. The inner drum has holes in it that allow the water to drain out. 
and then it usually it's then picked up by a drain pump that pulls it out of the uh, the machine itself. But with your top loading washers, you've got intake valves that uh, allow water to come in, and mm-hmm. you have a cold water and a hot water one, right? So generally speaking, most of these washing machines, uh, they if you set a washing machine to wash cold, it'll only allow water from the cold intake to come in. If you want it hot, it'll only allow water from the hot intake. So the machine itself, for most of these, doesn't have its own discrete heating element. It's just relying on the temperature of the water from your house to provide the heat or the cold water. If you want warm, it does a mixture of both. Oh, right, right. Right. So uh, not too complex there. Now, some some washing machines do have a little heating element, and they'll allow uh, warm or hot water to go across it to make it even hotter. Hmm. Uh, that tends to be more common in front loaders that I've seen than top loaders, but it's possible that you could find a top loader that also has its own discrete little electric heating element. It kind of looks like the sort of thing you would see in an electric stove. Oh, okay. So... Uh, and then water just goes uh, over it and that heats up. So then you've got a, a water level sensor that's inside the machine itself. So when the water hits the right level, the sensor is triggered and that sends a message to the control center in the washing machine to say, hey, stop letting water in. It sends a signal to the intake valve, has a little solenoid there, that when you trigger it, it'll shut that intake valve so no more water will come in so you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. a huge overflowing mess and solenoid valves of course being the kind of thing uh, so that there cannot be a exchange of water back out from you, you can't get the dirty wash water going back out into your neighborhood uh yeah into the pipes pipes yeah because that would be that would be really bad so yeah the, the valve has two purposes one to stop more water coming in and to stop all the dirty water going back out you only want the dirty water to go out through yeah. the exhaust pipe. solenoid is like a one-way thing yeah yeah a lot of uh pinball machines solenoids that's what all the little triggers are used you know huh. solenoids are using those just a little little trivia there people who listen to uh current geek have heard me Bust out that trivia in the past. So now you've got uh, the the water has hit the right level. The mode goes into wash cycle. That's when, uh, by the way, for these top loader ones, don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but generally speaking, you have to put the soap in manually. Like you don't put it into a dispenser or something. You it, have do, to, it doesn't go in automatically now. No, you just you pour it on top of the mm-hmm. the clothing, whether you're using liquid detergent or, or a, a solid detergent, doesn't matter. You put it in with the clothing. If you forgot to put it in there, you are not going to have that, you know, Daisy Fresh scent or whatever brand you happen to get. <laughs> so uh, the agitator begins to turn and it usually will. Uh, what you got is you've got a drive motor. Normally it's on the bottom of the washing machine. It also tends to act as a uh, counterbalance, a, a counterweight, which, by the way, you've got several counterweights in your washing machines. Because you got lots of motion going on, and if you didn't have them there, your washing machine would be dancing all over the place. Yes. Yeah. Anyone who's ever uh, had an unbalanced load in a washing machine and you start hearing that thumping noise, if you didn't have the counterweights in there, it would become catastrophic. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's actually a, a really complex suspension system. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it involves like a like a inner frame, a cable and pulley suspension, and these little like disc brake like mechanisms that connect that inner frame to the corners of the outer walls. Um, and that's so that when the frame, that inner frame shakes, they slow it down softly so that it doesn't hit against the, the outer wall of the right. washer. Mm-hmm. And then because other, otherwise you would just be convinced that your house had been invaded by uh, a horde of extremely loud ghosts. 
you know, who who apparently are mad that you're doing laundry. Or really clumsy robots who are also right. anti-laundry. It could be ghost robots. That's true. Oh, God, I hate those. Yeah, they're terrible. Ugh. So next you have uh, the once the drive motor gets going and it starts moving the agitator, uh, once the agitator is done, it's done oscillating, which is that that rotating motion where it goes in one direction, stops, goes in the other direction. Uh, that's what's actually moving the clothes around, getting them washed. Then you have the drain pump pulling all that wastewater out from the tub of the washing machine and through the drain pipe. Uh, that's uh, it's it's actually the same pump that circulates the water into the tub during the wash cycle. Um, thanks to the pump motor being reversible, it spins one way when you're driving a wash cycle and the opposite way when you're draining the tub. Exactly. Yeah. And so after this, then you've got the the those brakes that are on that inner drum that keep it from rotating while the agitator's moving. They release, and the inner drum begins to spin. So, uh, and and that that removes the water from the clothes. Yeah? Right. Yeah. It can it can spin a lot faster than the agitator does because the um although the motor itself usually only has one speed and that's the fast speed, a gear reduction mechanism will translate the motion to to the gentle agitator speed it's kind of like a washing machine version of a transmission uh yeah yeah because and and there's even more than that involved because hey the the pump and the agitate spin mechanisms are both driven by the same motor in, in some machines there's in fact a an actual transmission system with this automatic clutch that um that spins free with the inner drum during the agitate spin cycles mm-hmm. and then locks into the outer drum and the pump system during the the water related cycles mm-hmm. um uh, or alternately, the motor can hook in via a pulley system, which I understand less well and thus will not talk about. <laughs> it essentially uses pulleys where you have different sized discs to uh, to translate the motion either as fast and, and frantic or more, you know, kind of loosey goosey. <laughs> uh, Makes sense. I think that's the term. Makes sense. But yeah, so uh, that's when you've got all the counterweights draining away when when that thing is in spin it's really there's some serious g forces coming out of that spinning drum so that's why you have to have those counterweights to keep that washing machine from bursting out and killing your family uh frequently they're made of concrete because why not yeah so if you've ever thought oh this machine is so heavy yes for a reason it's filled with concrete and crazy crazy mechanics um if anything goes wrong during this entire process there's usually an overflow port that will pipe water directly out onto your floor yes that was not a design flaw it was intentional because if it goes up over the sides of the inner tubs um it could get those electronics wet and then we're right back to that old bolting the motor directly to the side of the washing tub. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Bad times. So we talked about how that that uh, that special uh, leads team got one that would wash a load of clothing with one cup of water. And we talked about how that was less than 2% of what your average washing machine is able to do. So top-loading washing machines. If you're using a high-efficient top-loading washing machine, we're talking one that is as efficient as they come, you're ta- still talking about using around 20 gallons of water per wash. That's 76 liters. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A typical non-high efficiency top loading washer is closer to 40 gallons, aka uh, 151 liters. And older ones are even thirstier than that. Some use as many as 55 gallons, Yeesh. 208 liters of water. So, uh, and again, you know, we talked about how this technology doesn't necessarily develop that quickly. And that there's not a pressing need necessarily to upgrade because these are expensive purchases for mm-hmm. most people. It's one of those things where you're like, unless it breaks down, we're keeping this going as long as we can keep it. Oh, yeah. And they're 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 even expensive enough. I mean, plenty, plenty of households do not own their own washer dryers. Oh, systems. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, 
it was it was quite some time before I had my own. I often was doing one of those people. I had to go to the laundromat. To uh-huh. my, it was my pretty recent for me. So so uh, so yeah. If you if you end up having one of these things, then it can be it can be tough to make the move to say let's go to something that conserves more water. But the nice thing is that even if you take the environmentally friendly stuff and you say that I can't consider that because it's it's uh, my it's out of my price it's range. out of my price range. Mm-hmm. If you look at the long term, and I'm I'm talking like a few years here, you can save more money with one of the more efficient machines just from the, the uh, water use, the water yeah. and, and energy use. Yeah, mm-hmm. because front loading machines and these high efficient machines, the high efficient top loaders use less water and less energy. And therefore, the ongoing expense decreases. Uh, it's, it's lower than what you would use for an, a traditional top loader. And you will save money in the long run. But that's the long run. Not everybody has, has the a long run option. Yeah. Sure. So let's talk about front loading machines. They're pretty similar. I mean, obviously, you've got a door that opens in the front as opposed to on the top. Uh, and there's a spinning drum inside them and there's no agitator. So the drum does all the agitating on its own. You have uh, water coming in along with soap. In fact, uh, the, the early process is identical to top loading. The water comes in uh, through intake valves. It may move over a heating element. It might not. Uh, it, it actually comes in through the drum. The drum, the inner drum has uh, holes in it that allow the water to pass through. Uh, rather than a spout at the top of the machine, which is what most top yeah, loaders have. Exactly. Uh, there's also an outer drum, just like with the top loader. You have the inner drum that's where all the clothes are, and that's where the water comes through. The outer drum is, again, watertight, or else it'd just be a big mess. Um, and then the the inner drum will spin one way and then the other. It'll have this oscillating motion, very much like an agitator, and that's doing all the agitating for your clothing. Uh, again, you have to have counterweights on the drum, the outer drum itself, in order to, to stabilize it. And there's some counterweights also in other parts of the washer to make sure it doesn't go walking. Um, now, once the water comes in, a lot of these front loaders have a detergent drawer. You put the detergent inside the drawer and then you close it. When the water comes in, it'll actually flow through that drawer first and then pull that all the soap and stuff into the the inner drum itself. So it's you know, this is one where you don't put the soap in after you've put in the clothing. You put it in on the drawer and then you close the drawer and then you start the washer. Uh, presumably, you put the clothes in there already. Uh, otherwise, you I would just, hope at some point you would put the clothes yeah, in. Yeah, because otherwise you just have soapy water. I mean, it's fun to watch. I, I get bored and not <laughs> Netflix doesn't always have something I want to watch. So uh, anyway... Uh, again, you have the hot and cold water. You've got the you know same store stuff as top loader. It's got a water level sensor just like the top loader does, so it knows when to shut it off. That basically is taking its cues from either whatever setting you've set, like whether it's a light load, a moderate load, or a heavy load. Or some of them can actually detect how many how how much clothing is in there based on weight or uh, other parts of the water sensor, and will just shut off automatically. So That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> also, you can put in more clothing in a front loader than you can of a comparable size of a top loader because there's no agitator there. So, ah, so you've got more space, right? Yep. So you might be able to put in a few pounds of clothing more than you could with a top loader. So fewer loads of laundry. It's another way of being more, more efficient. efficient. Yep. So then you've got a motor that's bolted to the tub. It's often acting as another counterweight just with the top loader. And it's job is to turn that drum to turn it uh you know make it oscillate and then also to spin it when it gets to the spin cycle the to you know it's already drained the water there's also a drain pump just like with the top loader mm-hmm. and then the the whole drum spins wicked fast uh until it pulls most of that water out 
So uh, the brains of it is a control module. This is the same for both machines, top loaders and front loaders. And it usually will uh, be send signals to all sorts of stuff, like when to allow uh, one phase of the, the washing process to go to the next. It also will maintain uh, information about the door, because unlike a top loader, which often you can open the door while the top loader is working and it'll continue working. It, it depends. Different, it depends. Different machines yeah. will do different stuff. Yeah. yeah, I had an old one. at My my parents had an old one where if you opened it in the middle, it was just going away. So you could still <laughs> you could add more stuff to it. In fact, in some cases that you had to manually add in, like if you wanted to put in fabric softener, you had to wait for it. It was not fully automated. You had to wait uh-huh. for the right time and then pour it in manually. Um, front loaders are different. They have a locking mechanism and that's if, good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only if that mechanism has sensed that the door has actually closed, it'll allow it to start. Otherwise you could end up with lots of leaking. Stuff yeah. No, that, that sounds much messier potentially. Yeah. Uh, granted if the sensor's not working, then it may think it's closed when it's not really closed and then you get water everywhere. But Assuming everything's working correctly, you should be fine. Uh, in any case, it's slightly less water than you would be using for a top loader generally, yeah? Yeah, it's normally somewhere around the 20-gallon or 76-liter amount. So that's the same as that high-efficiency top loader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it tends to use less energy, so it tends to be both uh, more energy-efficient uh, and water-efficient. And you can find some that are even more efficient than that, and it all depends upon things like the angle of the drums. Some of them are not angled directly horizontal. Some of them are angled so that they're kind of like there's a deep end and a, and a shallow end in a way from when you're looking at it in the front. Mm-hmm. It's like tilted downward a little bit. Uh, and some of them are just it's based upon how the water comes in and how efficient it is. Uh, you still see lots of, of advances. Like whenever I go to CES, there's always some companies that have like the cutting edge washer dryers and they talk about how uh, their technology has has improved to the point where you're you're using less water than ever and less inter- uh, electricity than ever. So we're still seeing those advances, and of course we're also seeing this come into the Internet of Things side. Oh, sure. Yeah, you, know, you get push notifications when your laundry is done, or you'll be able to uh, have it work in tandem with other electronics in your home for reasons I don't fully understand. I mean, honestly, if I if I could just get my dryer to dry my clothes without me having to run back up the three flights of stairs yeah. to where my laundry room in my house is. And, I, and I'm not, I'm complaining here. I know that a lot of people have it a lot harder and I'm overall really glad that I don't have to do this in a river. Yeah. Uh, By the way, uh, if if someone does kvetch a little bit about uh, about having to take a little extra effort, that does not automatically mean that person feels that they are in a worse position than anyone else on the face of the planet. So let's all just accept that. So if I just if I, because some people on the internet uh, do feel that way that they are yeah. in a worse position than anyone else on the planet. Let's not let's not make the assumption that everyone is like that. Because once in a blue moon I do complain about things, but I do so with the full knowledge that yes indeed, I I I inhabit a very privileged position in multiple ways. Yes. <laughs> so uh, at any rate uh, as someone who does the laundry in my home and our, our laundry machines are not on the same floor as our bedroom, which means that there's lots of hauling up and downstairs, I also feel that. Uh, I, I want my electronics to be interconnected so that when I go to cook something, it tells me, hey, your cooking shirt is clean. You want to put that one on because that's the one you don't care if you get grease stains on it. You slob. <laughs> I, I would like it if it were more polite, but I don't have high expectations of my electronics in that regard. 
Hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff, How Washing Machines Work from 2014. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, let me know. The best way to do that is to pop on over to Twitter. And we use the handle TechStuffHSW over there. I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.